Well, if you're new here, uh, my name is Mark. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church. It's great to have you here with us this week. And uh, if, you, uh, if you are visiting us and you um, want to know more about us, then please check out our website online or we've got information on our welcome desk out there. Uh, feel free to take things away and uh, you can fill a little card in as well if you wanted to send you our weekly email which updates you on everything that's going on in the life of the church. It's well worth doing that uh, so you can keep in touch with uh, where we are and uh, maybe even occasionally if we have to move venue, we do sometimes, and uh, you can keep in touch with that. All right, if you've got a Bible, you might want to open it at Mark's Gospel and chapter 10. We've been working through Mark's Gospel for uh, quite some time now when I've been preaching and we've made it to chapter 10, the start of chapter 10. We're going to read the first 12 verses uh, right now. And I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, you can follow it, obviously, in your Bible. And the words on the NIV will appear on the screen if I remember to put them up. Um, here we go. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Well, what did Moses command you? He replied. They said, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the very beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, his disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. All right. So, the crowds have uh, found Jesus once again, and uh, so Jesus is teaching them, as he regularly did. And the Pharisees, uh, the, op the people who are really, by now, very opposed to Jesus, they come again, and they're trying to trick him, they're trying to test him, they're trying to catch him out. Um, it's always worth uh, remembering that uh, they're not interested in learning like other people might be interested in learning about godly ways. They're really just wanting to try and uh, trick Jesus to trip him up. And their question this time is around divorce. Now, this is a very difficult subject for many people, obviously, um, in a congregation this size. There'll certainly be people who have uh, been divorced themselves. Um, many have been affected and damaged by divorce. And it's important to say, right, as we start off this uh, message, that God doesn't come harshly to people who have already been damaged and hurt. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So we can be carrying real hurt and damage and pain from broken relationships and God is a God who comes and he is close to those who are brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. We also need to realize in this passage that Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees here. He wasn't counseling someone who was struggling with their marriage. He wasn't dealing with someone who'd already maybe failed in some of their relationships. And we can see how Jesus deals with some of those people by looking at other passages. We can look at passages such as John 4, where Jesus speaks to the woman at the well who, he, um, who had had a number of different partners throughout her life. Well, what did Jesus do in that situation? Did he dismiss her? Did he want nothing to do with her, as most people would have said? Actually, no, he welcomed her. He held out the hope of new life and, and living water to her change life in Christ. So we need to see the context of what Jesus is speaking to, the situation at the time. It was talking to the Pharisees. They were trying to trick him. They were maybe trying to make him say something to incriminate himself um, somehow. Maybe they were aware that John the Baptist's um, strong stands on Herod's divorce and remarriage had actually got him killed. Um, who knows? That's the context. But having said all that, 
In preaching this passage, we must allow what the Word of God says, what this text says, we must allow the text to shape us and to teach us and to shape our thinking and our lives, not our emotions, not our past experiences. We can't just ignore what Jesus teaches here. That's why we preach when we preach. And when I'm preaching through the book of Mark, I'm preaching through the whole of the book of Mark. And we're going verse by verse. We're, we're not just taking our favorite passages. We're not just saying, oh, do you know what? I'm not going to preach on this passage, divorce. No, actually, we want to preach through the whole of what the gospel says. Because there can, even though there can be some difficult passages, we need to see what God is saying to us here about marriage and about his love for us and about divorce. So before I get into this passage, I'm just going to pray um, because I think it's important to have God um, with me. I know I need God in preaching this very much so. Okay, so Father God, I just pray that this morning as we look into your word, I pray that you will speak to us through your word, Lord, no matter what our experiences are and no matter what we bring this morning. And for some, it will be far more raw than for others. Lord God, I pray you will come in your love and your tenderness and you will speak to us about your love and about your grace and about your forgiveness and about what marriage really is in your sight and in your kingdom because you established it. Lord God, help me. I pray you'll fill me with your spirit this morning and help me to communicate um, well uh, what is on your heart, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So let's get into what this passage is actually saying. So the Pharisees are asking the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And at the time, the answer was pretty clear um, because, of course, it was lawful. In their culture, in their society, Jewish society at the time, divorce uh, was that a man could divorce his wife pretty easily. Um, now, we need to note that in a patriarchal society like they had, it was a man who could divorce his wife. Actually, if a woman wanted to divorce her husband, uh, that would not really have been very easy at all, if, uh, if it was possible at all. Um, women didn't really have any right to divorce their husbands. Um, but, uh, but men could and did divorce their wives. And there's a parallel passage um, that, again, it might be worth you just having your finger in, in Matthew 19, and the parallel story in Matthew 19 for this gives us a few extra details. And there, the question is framed by the Pharisees, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? For any and every reason. And there was two ways of thinking about divorce in Jewish society at the time. Two kind of schools of thought in Judaism. And they came from a passage in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4, and I'll put that up on the screen there. Deuteronomy 24. And this is what the Pharisees are going to refer to in a minute. And Deuteronomy 24 starts, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends it from his house... And, after, and then it goes on. After she leaves the house, she becomes the wife. It, it, it talks about a specific situation where a man divorces his wife and she then goes and marries someone else and then he divorces her. Can she go back to the first husband? So we're not going to get into all of that, but that's the context of it. But that is where the verse came from. That's what the Pharisees were thinking about when it came to their question. Can a man divorce his wife for any and every reason? And uh, first of all, it's worth saying, to start off with, this isn't saying it's good to divorce. This isn't God saying it's good to divorce or even legislating for divorce. It's talking about a specific scenario. But Jewish thinking began to twist and take this passage to say just what the Pharisees have said. Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Moses let him do it. That, that's what happened. Moses said it was fine. The question for debate in Jewish thinking was, well, what do these verses something indecent about her mean? So a man becomes dis takes a marries a woman, and she becomes displeasing because he finds something indecent about her. Well, what does that mean? That's what the debate was about. 
So the Pharisees are saying, is it any and every reason? Or is it just some reasons that you can divorce your wife? Um, one view that rabbi, there was a rabbi and he, his whole way of thinking and all his followers believed, one view was that you could only get divorced from your wife if there was some sort of sexual immorality about her. Some kind of sexual immorality. And that's what something indecent meant. Now, that would have been maybe more than adultery, um, but it, it could have even been like not able to bear children or, or whatever. But, but it was around the kind of sexual area. The other way of thinking was much more liberal. And this was the main way that people had started thinking in Jesus' time. And that was pretty much you could, you could divorce your wife for any reason that you want. Something indecent about you could be anything that displeased you. For example, that your wife burnt the dinner. That was actually one of the things that was set out in Jewish uh, records at the time. If your wife wasn't a good cook, you could divorce her. Yeah. And reasons of a similar nature. Um, pretty much any reason. Every and any reason. Either way, either way of thinking, divorce was legal for men to initiate. And the Pharisees are saying to Jesus, well, what's your opinion on this? They're probably saying, which of these two views do you go with? Do you go with, oh, it's got to be some sort of, uh, some, some sort of uh, sexual thing, or is it just any reason? Is it okay for any reason? They were probably trying to get him to side with one or the other because then some of Jesus' followers would have gone, oh, well, I don't believe that. You know, I believe this. And, and they would have maybe started falling out between each other. Who knows? Jesus doesn't answer the question directly, and he, he rarely does, does he? Jesus says, what did Moses command you? And the Pharisees sit on the fence, and they quote this passage in Deuteronomy 24. Well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But that's not what Jesus asked. Jesus didn't say, well, what did Moses permit? Jesus said, what did Moses command you? What did Moses command you? And there could be any number of answers about that in the books of Moses, the first five books of the uh, Old Testament. For example, Leviticus 19.18, which is love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Moses commanded. We should love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Or Genesis 2, which Jesus is going on to quote in a minute. The Pharisees here are responding to the law in the way that they always did. Because they always came at the law and thought, what can we get away with? What can I get away with? Here's the law of Moses, so I need to keep it. But what are the loopholes in this? What are the ways that I can get around this law and not do it or it be all okay? And Jesus was always going on at them about their hypocrisy. He was always saying, you're such hypocrites. You keep the letter of the law, but then you don't really live it. It's not living in your hearts. You're not living and breathing what God wants. They're legalists. And so they were concerned about their rights. Have I got the right to do this? Is it okay to divorce someone? Not their responsibilities, not what Moses commands us, not how we should live towards each other, how we should uh, love each other. Were the Pharisees concerned about a woman who might have been sent away uh, and, and left on her own uh, in, in a divorce with no means of support? No, they weren't. Were they concerned about their responsibility towards any children that there might have been um, that the effects of divorce could have had on them? No. They were concerned about the preservation of a man's right to send his wife away and to get rid of her. So Jesus says about this Deuteronomy passage, he says, hey, this isn't something that God brought and, and said, this is what you should do. He said, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. It was something that Moses permitted, but he permitted it because your hearts were already hard. Your hearts were already turned away from him. And actually, if you look at what this law in Deuteronomy sets out, it's a gracious provision towards women in recognition of men's hardness of hearts. In other words, he acknowledged divorce happened. Men are going to send their wives away anyway and cast them out on the streets. 
When they do that, they would have had no means of support. They would have no one to look after them. So women would have had to remarry. They would have had to marry someone else to receive that. But if they didn't have a certificate of divorce, and that's what's mentioned here, if they didn't have a certificate of divorce, they would have been seen potentially as adulteresses. They would have been like, oh, you're an adulteress. The penalty for adultery was stoning to death. So they needed protection. They were extremely vulnerable. So Moses, in setting out the law, so it's God through Moses setting out the law, he's saying, okay, this is happening anyway. Men's hearts are hard. They're sending women out. They're very vulnerable. They're going to be seen as adulteresses. Write a certificate of divorce. Write her a certificate of divorce. What did that mean? Well, the certificate of divorce said in it, Behold, thou art permitted to any man. In other words, you're not an adulteress. You've been divorced. You can go. You can get married to someone else. And, you, and so there's a protection there. So if we don't understand that, do you kind of get it? If we don't understand that what God's doing here, we can just think, oh, God's, God's saying divorce is okay. No, he's seeing divorce happens. There's very vulnerable women. We need to protect those women. So there was some protection through the certificate of divorce. There was protection um, as well because the law made divorce a little harder because most people in those times were illiterate, so they couldn't write. So when it's saying, okay, if you want to divorce your wife, you've got to write her a certificate of divorce. And the guy's going, well, I can't write. So I've got to go and find someone to write me the certificate of divorce. So it would have taken a little time, maybe not a huge amount of time, but some time. In other words, someone couldn't just divorce their wife in the middle of a heated argument and say, that's it, I'm divorcing you, get out. That wasn't permitted. They had to take the time and write a certificate of divorce. Even in some other religions, in Islam, in some forms of Islam today, just saying, I divorce you three times is enough to constitute a divorce. You know, so three times I divorce you, that's it, you're gone. And God was saying, no, 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 no. You need to write a certificate of divorce. There needs to be protection for the vulnerable. And you can't just do it in, in the middle of anger or rage. So you see what Jesus is saying here. The Pharisees are taking this verse and they're saying, Jesus is, um, sorry, Moses is saying it's all okay. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not. God's seeing the hardness of your heart. That's why this verse is there. It's a bit of a mitigation for your sinfulness. It's provision for your wives. It's protection for those people who are in need. It's a bit like a parent saying to a child, look, if you must punch your brother, then at least hit them with a pillow. You know, it's like, does the parent endorse the brother beating up his other brother or sister? No but they're not going to stop it. Okay, well, here, have some boxing gloves. Here, have a pillow. Have something to soften the blow to make it easier. It doesn't mean they're saying it's all okay. They're making life easier for them. Jesus was saying, you Pharisees, you've totally missed the point. You've totally missed God's heart for marriage in this. You're not going to see what God's heart for marriage is from this passage in Deuteronomy, which isn't really covering that. You need to try and get back to see what God's heart for marriage is from another passage in the book of Moses in Genesis. It's like saying, um, oh, you know, you can learn how to fly a plane by studying instructions on how to make a crash landing. That's not going to teach you how to fly a plane. We don't just study, well what, well, what is it? How do we get divorced and what's all this about? That doesn't teach you about marriage in the same way that Studying about a crash landing doesn't teach you how to fly a plane. Jesus then takes them back to the true intent of God's will and God's purpose for marriage. And he takes them right back to Genesis 1 and 2. So here he quotes it. At the beginning of creation, right at the beginning, God's intention, God made them male and female. In other words, marriage is to be between a man and a woman. It's worth Maybe that was obvious a few years ago. Maybe it needs restating today. Marriage is to be between a man and a woman. Different, complementary sexes, different 
but created equal. And we, need, and we can see through what Jesus says here, because remember what I've said about the context. Men had all the power. You might, some people might say, well, it's still not wholly equal today. Well, no. But men had all the power in those days. And Jesus is actually saying, no, there's equality coming in here. Male and female, different, created equal. And then he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. What's that saying? It's saying that when a marriage takes place, a man then has an obligation towards his wife. You've got to look after your wife. You've got to protect your wife. You've got to respect more than to your parents. Well, the parents, that was a strong bond. That was one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. And Jesus, and, but God's saying, no, no, no. Now a marriage comes in and that's more important. Obligation to the wife. Leave the father and mother. That was a huge statement in, one of the, in that day's culture. The wife isn't just a commodity to meet his needs. There's partnership together. There's unity together. It's worth remembering even today. Our spouse isn't just someone who's there to meet our needs and our wants. There's verses in the Bible uh, which talk about, um, I don't know if I've got it here. Yeah, this one here in 1 Corinthians 7. The wife doesn't have her authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Like, that is a massively shocking statement to us, isn't it, today? In, in our culture, you don't have authority over your own body, but, but, but you yield it to your husband, and it's not just that way. In the same way, and this is the shocking thing, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, yields it to his wife. There's a submission to each other. There's a giving to each other. There's a loving each other. There's a saying, I'm not thinking about my rights. I'm thinking about my responsibility. How can I, my body, even be used for the love and help of others, especially my marriage partner? Like huge, shocking things. And the two will become one flesh, going back to this, where are we? They're no longer two, but become one flesh. So in a marriage, God does something. God takes two people, a man and a woman, and he joins them together so that they're no longer two, but they're one. And when we symbolize that in, in weddings today, maybe I've seen them, uh, people take candles, and there's two candles, and you light one candle in the middle. Well, there's all sorts of different ways. You could, it's almost like two pieces of paper that you could stick together. And so in a way, there's still two pieces of paper, but they're one piece of paper. They're joined together. They're glued together. God does the joining. God does the uniting. Not us. We don't do it. Even though we come and we say we're getting married, you don't get husband and, and wife or uh, a man and woman joining together. Yeah, we're going to get married. They can't make one flesh. God makes one flesh. God does something in joining people together. And Jesus then comments on these verses in Genesis, and he says, therefore, what God has joined together, let man, let no one separate. But he initially said, let man not separate in the, in the old translation of it, because it was men who did do the separating. What God has joined together, don't let anyone separate. So people cannot put themselves in the position of God. Jewish law said the man's in control of the marriage. The man can decide whether, they're gonna, whether, whether he's going to stay with his wife or whether he's not. And Jesus is saying it's not the man's decision. It's not his right to decide that. Because it's God who's joined people together. And if God's joined people together... Who are we to separate? God is Lord. We don't put ourselves in position of God when it comes to our marriages. A human decision can't tear apart something that God has joined together just as humans cannot join them together in the first place. We can't put them together. 
And we can't tear them apart. It's just God. And the Bible is clear on it. And it, and it actually goes even further than that. Now, I'm, I'm aware already we've got to try and get into past cultures. We've got to try and understand what the situation is at the time. So when Jesus was speaking, everyone knows, oh yeah, this is what happens and this is what happens. Well, for us, I'm trying to explain it to us and it can take a bit of mental, okay, I'm trying to understand where it's coming from. So I'm aware it's already a bit, a bit tricky. I want you to come with me a little more for a few minutes on this before we start to apply it to us today because it gives us a fuller picture. If you get lost, don't worry. You can leap back in a little later on. But God says in other parts of the Bible, marriages are about far more than just us. Because we think, oh, well, what's a marriage about? It's about, a, it's about a man and a woman and them getting married, and it's about them, and it's their relationship, and, and that's who it's concerning. Jesus, Paul goes on and talks in Ephesians. He quotes the same verses from Genesis. Man be united with his wife, the two will be, become one flesh. He says... This is a profound mystery, and we're kind of thinking, okay, yeah, I'm with you on this. It is a bit weird. It's a mystery. And then he says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And you go, what? Are you? I thought you were talking about husband and wife. And now you're saying you're talking about Christ and the church? Well, what's that about? What he's saying is there's something in marriage that reflects the love that Christ has for his church. Christ is described as the bridegroom. The church is described as the bride in the Bible. There's something about marriage and joining together, and this, what God has joined together, let no one separate, which is reflecting Jesus' love for the church. So, does God discard us and send us away when we do something that displeases him? No, he doesn't. He doesn't do that. Never. Does God's heart grow hard towards us? No. Those of us who he loves in Christ, his heart doesn't grow hard towards us. And so, because there's a parallel, because it's reflecting the same thing, we see how significant marriage is in God's eyes. Because marriage is reflecting his love for us, his church. So it's central, it's key. It might take a bit of getting our heads around, but that's what our marriages are about. The Bible tells us God's love never ends for us. Now, the Bible does talk about us, about how God himself has experienced divorce. So Jeremiah 3 verse 8 talks about God getting divorced. You think, what? God getting divorced? God says, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Okay, so God has got divorced from Israel. What's that about? Well, again, let's understand it right. Hopefully we can understand it. What's the certificate of divorce? Israel has committed adultery. Israel has gone running after other gods, other people, being unfaithful, being adulterous, and God is a God who cannot have his affections shared with others. God is saying, no, I, I cannot allow worship of me and worship of others at the same time. You, you know, Bible, New Testament talk, you can't worship God and money. You can't love other gods. So Israel is running after all these other gods, all these other idols. But God's heart is for Israel. God loves Israel. Now, what does God do? Adultery punished by death in the Old Testament. God could say, that's it. I'm done with you. I'm killing you. I'm destroying you. I'm having nothing more to do with you. But he doesn't do that. He sends Israel away. Well, her heart's already gone. But in his grace, he says, I'm giving you a certificate of divorce. You go and join yourself to others if you want. It's a permission, remember, to go and join with others. Okay, you've left me. I cannot tolerate this other woman, other people, other idols, other gods. So go. Certificate of divorce. But he's not ended the relationship. Why? 
Because there's still hope. There's still hope of repentance. There's still hope of coming back to God. There's still hope for us, even when our hearts are unfaithful. That's why when Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 7, and I'm, I'm coming back in a minute. If, you, if you're lost, I'll be back. <laughs> but if you're following, there's, there's some good stuff here, I think. This is why in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, if a believer is married to an unbeliever, and that unbeliever is willing to live with them, then the believer mustn't divorce them because you can win them over. You can win them over if they're willing to be with you. But if the unbelieving spouse decides to end the relationship, it says, Paul says, then you to let them go in the same way that God let Israel go. Again, it's reflective of God's love for the church. God allows unbelievers to walk away from him. He's not walking away from anyone. If you're a believer and your spouse is unbelieving and they're, they're happy to stay with you, don't divorce them. Don't separate. You say, oh, yeah, but Brent was preaching about don't be yoked with unbelievers. Yeah, but if you are, don't separate. If they want to leave, okay, fine. But the idea is to win them. The idea is always to win people's hearts. Because God designed marriage to be permanent and to reflect God's love for us. It's a sacred bond between a man and a woman. It's more than just a contract. It's more than just a piece of paper. It's a divine yoke. It's a covenant relationship. It's a joining together. All right, so, so that's some context of what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees and to the disciples who were listening in. Because the disciples are like listening to the answer and like going, we don't get this either. This is kind of confusing to us. So they listen and, and afterwards they go and they question him. And they talk to him about it themselves and say, can you explain it? And so he confirms what he said. And he says, okay, anyone who divorces and marries someone else is committing adultery. If you divorce and marry someone else, you are committing adultery. And in the Matthew passage, which is up on the screen, he actually says, if anyone divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, because that's already broken, that, that one flesh relationship, and marries another, commits adultery. And the disciples are like, that's just too hard. They say, well, then, if that's the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to even marry. <laughs> it's like, what? Because they're coming from this whole thing of, well, you can get married, but if there's something displeasing, that's all right. Just send your wife away. Go and find someone else. And Jesus is saying, no. If you do that, you're committing adultery. And the disciples are like, what? I'm committing adultery? Pff, better not to even marry then. Jesus is setting the bar high. You see what he's done? He's turned the tables on the men who have got all the power in their society. We can do whatever we want. Jesus says, no, if you do that, you are being unfaithful to God. If you divorce your wife and remarry, you're committing adultery. He's setting the bar high. And that's what Jesus did. He continually set the bar higher. Or is it okay to divorce your wife for, for this reason or this reason? Jesus is saying, not really any reason except unless adultery has been committed against you. What? What's that about? He continually did it. It's like when he says in Matthew 5, anyone who looks to men, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with him, her in his heart. What? So you, we're thinking the bar's here, and you're saying it's here. Jesus is saying, yeah, that's where it is. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. Man, this is shocking stuff from Jesus. There's no room, biblically, for a no-fault divorce. There's no room for a, oh, we've just grown apart. So even with adultery, Jesus permits it. Jesus permits divorce where there's been adultery, but he doesn't say it has to happen. Again, in Judaism, that had to happen. Oh, your wife commits adultery, your husband commits adultery. What, um, well, it was, you know, there's got to be a divorce. 
And Jesus is saying, no, it's permit. That's, that's, that's okay, but that's not the ideal. Because when divorce happens, for whatever reason, it's still a tragedy. And what Jesus is leaving open is the option of forgiveness and restoration. So how do we apply all of this to ourselves? How do we apply this in our society, which in some ways is a, is a similar culture, I guess. Maybe not that, that men have got all the power, um, although, as I said, there are maybe still elements of it. But we've got a society where marriage is seen as pretty easy to end. Marriage relationships can be seen as somewhat disposable. You only need to look at celebrity culture just to see how that happens. People are getting married all the time and, it, and it's all in magazines and it can become just a kind of fun, almost a entertainment in, in the magazines. Oh, who are, who are they marrying now? Who are they divorcing now? Who are they marrying next? And, and all of this. And, and, it's, and that's the society that we live in. And it can come more and more into our thinking in the church. Certainly, more and more in society, people can't imagine being with just one marriage partner all their lives. And, and definitely, people don't imagine they'll just have one sexual partner in their life. This is generally in society. We mustn't fall into that way of thinking in the church. Because, because God's view of marriage is that marriage is reflecting him and the church. That's not what the world thinks. Most people in society aren't thinking about God and the church at all. It's like, oh, well, this is, this is just kind of whatever meets my needs. And if we're thinking about whatever meets our needs, oh, this works well for us or whatever, and now it's stopped working well for me, well, then we can just end it because we'll find something else that's going to work better for me. So people can start thinking, oh, this is difficult now. I'd be better off without them. Or I deserve more than this. Or, you know what? I've struggled in this marriage for long enough. I'm done. I've got to find a better way. All of those ways of thinking, worldly ways of thinking about marriage, instead of seeing that it reflects God's love for us and his faithfulness towards us. Psalm 130 and verse 7 says, With the Lord there is unfailing love. That's what God's view of us is. He is, his love is unfailing. It doesn't give in. And also in that, in, that, in that psalm, it says, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Yet many marriages are about keeping a record of sins, keeping a record of hurts, keeping a record, remembering the things that have been done to us. And God's saying, no, your marriage is to reflect my love for the church. If we kept a record of sins, who could stand? If you've been married for any length of time, you know you can't just start keeping a record of sins. You can't keep, start keeping a remembrance and a record of hurts. It's not going to stand. No, there's forgiveness. We're called to marriages which extend God's forgiveness and our forgiveness. And we can do that. If we know God, we can do that because we've come into a relationship with God. We've known and received God's forgiveness for ourselves. We can be faithful in our marriages because God is faithful to us. We can forgive in our marriages because God has forgiven us. We can see restoration in our marriages because God restores us. God is for marriage. And if God is against separation, and if God hates divorce, which Malachi says he does, then he's for strengthening marriage, and he's for maintaining marriage, and, and supporting marriage. And so he'll offer to us all his spiritual resources to do that. We're not alone in our marriages because God loves marriage and so God will support us and strengthen us and pour out his Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we can exercise all of the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit in our marriages. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. 
What's the context in our life where we need those fruit more than any other? Where do we most need love and patience and faithfulness and self-control and gentleness in our marriages? That's where we need them day by day by day. And God gives them us. God pours those fruit into us through his spirit. David Atkinson calls marriage a called living before God, open to the resources of his grace and forgiveness. So marriage is God calling us to live together before God, open to all the resources that God will give us, his grace and his forgiveness. It makes forgiveness and forbearance and perseverance and patience possible. So there is hope. There is hope for those of us who struggle in our marriage. And many, many struggle in marriage. Many people struggle in their marriages. If you're married here, I would urge you, don't harden your hearts towards each other. That's that's the hardening of hearts is what Jesus was talking about at the start. Don't harden your hearts towards each other. Don't harden your hearts towards God. And when we get married, we soon realize life isn't this fairy tale where we all live happily ever after in some castle somewhere. The passion that we feel early on in a relationship, that fades. It can certainly fade. You've got to really work at it for it not to. Things which endeared to us about our spouse can become the annoying things <laughs> that, that bother us. We have to choose to go to God all the time to build strong marriages. It doesn't just happen automatically. We have to learn to apply Jesus' teaching. And he's teaching about serving each other and about being last. The stuff he's just been talking to his disciples about. If you want to be the best, if you want to be first, learn how to serve. Learn how to humble yourself. Learn how to be last. Put others' needs before yourself. it's, It's God resourcing us. To be honest, it's not God just going, you mustn't divorce. It's not just a law, don't divorce. That, that actually doesn't help anyone. You can be in a, in a very, very unhappy and broken relationship, a broken marriage, and you just have, oh, don't divorce. That doesn't solve anything. That doesn't change anything. There's many people who've never divorced, but yet they've never really worked out how to see God's hope and forgiveness and restoration come in their marriage. But there is hope. God can change. Seek help from others. Seek God. Forgive. Soften your hearts. I may have told this story before, but um, there's uh, a couple that we know, um, parents of Debbie's friend. And they they got married, um, I think, in the 60s. And... uh, they were pregnant with their first child, but they weren't married. And so they got married. And they had a number of other children. And then when the last child left home at about 18, 19 years old, on that day, the guy turned to his wife and said, okay, we're done then. I've stayed with you all my, all the marriage so far because of the kids. I never loved you. I've done it for them. Now it's time for me. They've left home. I'm going. I want a divorce. Now, she was a Christian. He wasn't. So in the spirit of 1 Corinthians 7, and with a heavy, broken heart, she let him walk away. And she let him divorce. And she kept on praying for him. And she kept on praying for him. And a few years later, he independently went on an alpha course And he got saved. And he got back in contact with her. And they started meeting up. And they started going on dates. And he fell in love with her, he would say. But now he's coming with all the resources of God. And they remarried. And they're married today. With humans, things are impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. With God, there is hope. If we're not yet married, 
This isn't just a message for married people. This is a marriage for the church. If we're not yet married, it's good to be aware of all of these things. Maybe you hope to be married one day. Maybe you plan to be married. Maybe you're even engaged or thinking about becoming engaged. I would encourage you, seek to live a godly life, putting others first before you get married. All these things that Jesus has been teaching into, if you want to be first, become the last. Do it before you get married. Because when you get married, that's, that's the main context to apply it into. So you need to be practicing beforehand, getting there beforehand. And make sure you marry someone who is a spiritful believer. Make sure that you marry someone else who loves God. Marriage is hard enough when both partners are Christians, when both people are seeking God's help and strength. When one isn't, it's even tougher. Brent talks about unequally yoking the other week. Paul talks about it in this passage in 1 Corinthians 7. Again, in the context of, uh, of, of people remarrying. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone else she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Don't marry someone who doesn't belong to the Lord if you belong to the Lord. Don't think your relationship will be easy and you'll get by and it'll work because you love each other so much. Have a high view of marriage. Have a high view of marriage. Don't join yourself sexually to anyone else beforehand. Whether it's the person you intend to marry or not, decide you're going to do things God's way. God gives us spiritual fruit, fruit of the Spirit, one of which is self-control. When you get married, you will need to exercise the fruit of self-control in your life. You will. You will need self-control. So use it before you get married and have a high view of what marriage is. It's only when God joins together that you become one flesh. Don't do it beforehand. Some people, like Jesus and Paul themselves, might never get married, might never be married. Paul said he thought that was a better way. He says, I think this is the best way. But if you want to get married, get married. <laughs> he said he thought it was the better way. He said, you can be more focused on serving God if you're single. Actually, there's some truth in that. But we're all still involved as a church in helping to strengthen and support each other. We're all part of God's family together. Marriage isn't an individual thing. It's a corporate thing. It's a communal thing. We think, oh, no, it's just me and my wife, me and my husband. No, it's not. The church is involved. Some of you might think, I don't know if I want the church to be involved. <laughs> the church is involved. <laughs> We're involved together. That's what we do. That's why we all join together. That's why we come to marriages. That's why we come and, and witness and, and even sometimes make promises ourselves. Finally, if you are divorced, and as I said, some are here, it's important to recognize and realize divorce and remarriage, they're not the unforgivable sin. There's only one unforgivable sin, and that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There is forgiveness for us. There is restoration. There is hope. We have a God who forgives us for our faithlessness ourselves, forgives us for our rebellion, forgives us for our adulteries, who takes us back. That's what God does. So, tough passage but let's seek God for our marriages because they're right at the heart of God they're right at the heart of what God is who God is and what he wants and what he's done in the church so let's support each other in them let's help each other no doubt our worldly friends will give advice like oh just 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 leave your husband leave your wife find happiness for yourself it's time to think about you let's resist those lies of the enemy Let's go God's way. Let's have a high view of marriage. Let's have God's view of marriage. And let's turn to God in it. A God who can bring hope and who brings restoration. So let's pray, shall we?
Father God, Lord, this is, this is, these are passages that we wrestle with and that we struggle with. And I know I've been even wrestling with them all week in preparing for today. And so I know that just to, just to hear words being preached can, can confuse us, can stir up all sorts of things. But Lord God, we believe in the power of your preached word. We believe that this is what you use to shape us and to change us and to mold us. So, Lord, I want to pray that your words and your heart will have communicated today, Lord, that we will go away believing for our marriages. Lord, even if our marriage is in a difficult situation, even if we're struggling personally in our marriage, Lord, even if we think that there's hopelessness and we can't see a way out, Lord, I pray you will give us hope in that you give all your heavenly resources to us and you pour them out. And Lord, I pray soften hearts, soften hearts that are hardened already, Lord. I pray for hearts that are broken and wounded. Lord, I pray for your healing, your spirit to come and just bring healing and restoration and hope. Lord God, Lord, I pray for wisdom for those of us who have got decisions to make, Lord, who may not even be married yet. Lord, give us wisdom. Let us walk in your ways, Lord. Lord, I pray if there's any sense of condemnation that has come upon anyone in this time, Lord, I pray you will remove it from them now. Lord, let, them, let, let us all know that you are not a God who condemns. You are not harsh. You do not break a bruised reed. Oh God, you come with your love and your grace and your mercy. And I pray we will know that even this morning. Thank you, God. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you, you are faithful to us as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.